Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for an afternoon, and Lord, I thank you for full bellies. Lord, what it is um, a privilege to have healthy food, and what a privilege it is, Lord, to have food. And I just ask that in a special way you be with those who are hungry right now, Lord, and may you, you show them you. And also, Lord, I just ask that you help us not to be sleepy with um, overloaded stomachs and to be able to listen to what you want us to say in your name. Amen. All right, so if you feel the need to stand, I totally understand, uh, because there is something after lunch where you just shut down. Um, yeah, like, I'm good to go, but I'm talking, so <laughs> if you need to. Um, so there was this, I had mentioned this, this is um, based out of Answers in Genesis, so Answers in Genesis is a great website. Um, I have um, signed up for his blog, and so I get Ken Ham's um, blog about creation. But as you can see, there's kids, there's education, there's um, different stuff and sources right here. But I love his blog because it just randomly informs me different things that are interesting about um, some really awesome scientific things that I wouldn't have known otherwise because I just don't, um, I didn't study super, super deep into science. Um, and then um, this is the curriculum I was talking about, God's Design for Science. Um, it's actually more expensive than I said, so it is a four-year set, um, but it is $300, um, but it's, it's quite incredible. They talk about machines and motion, ecosystems, um, atoms and molecules, weather and water, uh, planet Earth, human body, plants. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. I was looking at it when I was at the Ark Encounter in the uh, Creation Museum. And I was like, whoa, I want to buy this just for me to learn. Like, this is making some cool correlations and connections I've never made. Um, so maybe just sample one to see if you like it, because I've actually never used it, so I can't really sell it. But I know that it does make those parallels between creation and, and God and science. So I thought that's pretty cool. Okay. All right. So if you'll look in your lessons from the garden, there's, there's ten garden metaphors throughout here. When I started going on the whole garden thing, I realized that the curriculum that I was finding was a hundred pages long. And I was like, you know, I could just sample a lesson plan from each one of these and put it in there, but the truth is it's probably better for you to, to discover each other. I think I have like seven or ten websites for you to go look at to see which one fits you better and fits what you're trying to accomplish with your kids better than me having like this big giant stack of 100 pages. <laughs> Here you go. Um, and so what I'm basing everything off that I'm going to show you is on the back page it says other resources. Okay, growingminds.org. I think this one looks so fun. It's really well done. It's from farm to school. And their resources are incredible. They have lesson plans and activities. They have children's literature, browse the titles. They have local food recipes. I mean, I was quite impressed with this website, indeed. What's it called? Growing Minds? Growingminds.org. So it's at the, the back page okay. of your other resources to look at. Um, so I thought that this one looked really, really awesome. And as you can see, they have, like, here's the preschool and then they have K2, and they have 3 through 5, and they have 6 through 12. So let's just tick, click on, let's click on 3 through 5. And they have a lot of lesson plans. So eating in season, food for thought, in a pickle, the pickle patch, bathtub, egg investigation, and egg is quiet. Um, 
So um, this is like a, a lot of these websites are not just garden. They also talk about like cows and eggs and like the whole idea of like where your food comes from. So you can pick and choose which lesson plans that you find helpful. Um, but I thought this one was really, really awesome. Growing Minds Farm to School. I just think they have a lot of resources available to you as a parent who's trying to do gardening. If you're trying to do gardening in the school, I think it's really fantastic. Um, NEA is pretty cool too. Um, this one is huge. So let's just click on second grade cur curriculum. All right, there's, there's tons of them. Do you see? This is why I was like, whoa, it's too much to even like start to show them. There's motions and patterns seasons, changes of earth service, life cycles in the garden, garden skills. I mean, these are all separate individual um, lesson plans. Garden skills, science, food and eating systems, physical science, reading and language arts, math, social studies. That's, that's all right there, all those different lesson plans for second grade. <laughs> so literally, um, whatever you are looking for could probably be fine. So that's really impressive. Um, and if you're just curious, we can just look at one worm box math. So it's set up like that proper, you know, lesson plan that you were taught in college how to do with all of your filling in the boxes. And it just works it through um, very, very straightforward how to do it. And it even tells you what standards it covers. Um, but I just think it's really, really impressive um, how well done it is. K kindergarten curriculum, earth science, living science. Um, physical science, English and literature arts again. And as you can see, it's just loads. <laughs> tons and tons of websites, um, or tons and tons of lesson plans. And basically what this is, it's a resource of a compilation. It's not just one specific kind of lesson plan. It's, it's just all things connecting back to that. Because if you click on them, each lesson plan looks slightly different because it's written by a different teacher. So it's just kind of a compilation of them. But I think it's a really fantastic tool. Um, the kids gardening one, that looks like this. This one is really cute, I think. I think they did a really awesome job on this. So it's kids gardening. Um, they have webinars, they have books and curricula, lesson plans, garden activities, truly early childhood education resources, designing a school garden, um, all those kind of fun things. But here is all, and this is kindergarten, um, but there's tons of different ideas for um, the garden, which is really helpful. And even indoor gardening, when you can't, look at that cute, simple straw aeration hydroponic system. <laughs> that looks fun to do. Lots of really fun and cool ideas. Planting a flower clock, plant a butterfly garden, building a maze, so that'd be a lot of work. Theme gardens, oh, this is really cute. So for those of you who maybe don't have the full-on gardening going on, but you just want to start um, your own garden, you could do a theme garden. So you could do like, what would be something that you would need on a pizza? And then you could even grow it in the pizza shape if you wanted to, and then you grow your mushrooms and your peppers. And it could be something that kids could be their plot, like what could be your theme garden. And they're just, then it's just small scale, and it's their ownership, and it's theirs. For those of you who don't have the full-on big, like you're not living, the whole farmer's life, if you could. Um, something else that I want to hit on, um, and I think I'll just start on it now because I think sometimes you look at websites over and over, you can get bored. So 
One thing that I'm really passionate that I would really think is cool is have you guys seen community gardens? Are you guys in areas that you've seen community gardens in your city? That is awesome. All right, so not in Goebbels, not in my parents' little town, but the town next to my parents in Allegan, there is a beautiful little community garden. And what they've done is they have this, this little white fence, and they have found that, that uh, communities with um, community gardens have less crime rates than, than communities that don't have community gardens, which is just, I think, really cool. Uh, and what they've done is they just have this beautiful little white picket fence, and they, they built um, like the arbor, the what am I looking for, like that archway that you walk into it, and then they've just built raised bed boxes. And so, I don't know, I know there's like safety and everything, but I think it would be really cool if our churches could be locations for community gardens. But I know that logistically that might not work out because often we put our churches out in the countries because they're with our schools, so then they have to be out and they're often not in downtown. Um, but it would be really cool if like the SDA church, it was like started by the SDA church, the community garden, and, you know, and people were coming to that community garden to help out, but then they were seeing that the SDA church, and I don't think it would have to be a huge burden on the church because it's really the people are just needing land. And that's really the point of a community garden is just to supply a place. It's not really, you're not the one going to weed. Um, it's, it's supposed to be an honor system where people come and work on their plots. They're not supposed to just go and pick anybody else's vegetables. And I'm sure it happens, of course, naturally. But the idea is you're just trying to provide an avenue for people to be able to work on a garden. And so if you have an ability to start a community garden, I think that's another great way that you can get your church involved. You know, to be like, hey, church, I really want to start a community garden. Can we do it at our church or can we do it in our community? You know, I just think there's lots of possibilities for that with starting a community garden. Yeah, I think location is everything. You know, I think it, probably if you expect a good positive turnout, it has to probably be within walkable distance, to be honest, to want to have your kids want to bike down there or you walk down to the community garden. So you really, like, it's probably not possible for a lot of us that live in locations where it's just, you know, not possible. But even those small little towns, you know, Goebbels, where I'm from, population 790 or something crazy, like, we have a tennis court, I'm sure that, and next to that tennis court, there's this random green space, you know, I bet that they would be open to me starting a community garden, and then there's lots of little people that can walk into it, and maybe it won't look like a big success in the gardens, but if I take the time to make nice, pretty white picket fence, and nice raised gardens, which is now a math project, which is now a whatever project you want to make it, and I get my church involved, and as a church, we're building these, it's one or two Sundays, you know, and if, yes, I know the money to, to get the boards, but I think we could find reasonable ways to, to make it pretty cost-effective, and then it's just a matter of people taking ownership of the plot, you know, but I think if you present it as it's orderly and nice, people are going to want to have buy-in, you know, so I think community gardens is, a, is and then from, from the community garden stems all sorts of possibilities. What about cooking classes? What about how to use the produce? And then your kids design a cooking class. You know, your kids write recipes down. Your kids um, are the ones up there cooking the classes. And your kids are the ones, um, you know, writing flyers to tell the community. Well, now they're learning how to, to, to write a flyer, which let's be honest, there's times where I'm asked to write certain things and I'm like, I'm a writer. Wait a second, how do I word this? How do I phrase it to like, you know, and all of a sudden your kids are the ones writing the flyers and posting those around town. And there's just really cool possibilities, I think, with a community garden. Yeah, and for those of you who are doing the full-on farming and farming and doing the marketing, gardening, you know, then have your kid be the one to write the different recipes and the little friendly note from your farmer and put it in your box. You know, there's lots of writing 
possibilities when you're the one um, marketing things because you have to write up different flyers and you have to figure out how to phrase things in a catchy way, an interesting way, and, and get fun facts to pull in people's attention. You know, and then every time they write down a fun fact, well, then they're learning the fun fact and they're applying it and they're like, well, that is cool because I'm the one who discovered it, not just my mom's telling me that, you know, if I eat this much asparagus, I'll have this much more brain power. No, whoa, I found that, mom. We should eat more asparagus. You know, that's just kind of the thing. When they feel like they're the ones discovering it, they're way more apt to be like, yeah, we should eat this and do this. Another one that's really cool is the, another website is the Whole Kids Foundation. So this one is huge. It's a downloadable one and it literally takes you through um, everything you can imagine for a garden. Here you go, sprouting seeds, a seed has a coat. <laughs> Recommended pre-K to K4, um, and it goes down, has activities. Like for those of you who have like, I have no idea how to include the garden, this literally tells you here's the description, here's the background, here's the materials, here's the activity, this is how we do it. Um, and you'll, I think you'll find, and then there's books, which I love books. Um, I think books are so awesome, and they have, they have a whole big list, and you could try to find them in the library. Um, and they have beautiful colored pictures that you can present out, print out, and they have games. So this document right here is totally downloadable. Like, you just download it, and then you can print it. But it has beautiful pictures um, made for you. Um, it's really quite an impressive, I think, curriculum guide. But yeah, I was... Really impressed. Look at the ladybug cycle, the butterfly. Um, it has the charts already made for you. And it, it just has it all organized incredibly. So I thought that one was super, super helpful. Um, so maybe just put, I don't know, a star next to the ones that you guys find would be most, most fitting for what you need. The school garden project. Um, so this is another um, strongly educated based one and has curriculum. Um, so here you go, plants, parts, and their functions, seed disposal, garden habitat, worms, planting the summer garden, soil composition, flowers and pollination, printable game cards and additional materials. Um, another really awesome one. And then, oh, this urban gardening, so I think this one is interesting. One thing that I thought was really cool about this one, and now I probably won't be able to find what I found, but it talked about tower gardens and building and, and like making gardens in really small spaces. And I was just clicking on and like reading lesson plan after lesson plan after lesson plan, so probably won't be able to find it. Oh, there's your Cornell University. Someone was talking to me. You were about Cornell University. What did you call it? Citizen Science. Citizen Science. Citizen Science. So she said that's well worth checking into as well. Um, and you're part of like active databases and all those kind of things. Um, so as you can see, like I feel like I could go through each lesson plan, but I don't really think that's helpful. Probably what's helpful is just the fact that you have a big list of resources that you can go through and um, that I think is really helpful. But then I wanted to show you, I downloaded a couple of um, ones that I thought were really good. So this is all on those websites, you can find it, but this is Stop the Invasion. It, this goes really in depth, so those of you teaching like older kids for science, it's really um, high level, the Asian citrus psyllid, psyllid, is that how you say that? But it has fantastic facts, lesson ideas, and then a lesson plan um, that looks super helpful. So it talks about like 
the invasion of different um, bugs, and maybe you could find one specifically that you're struggling with in your garden. Uh, maybe you have big problems with a Mediterranean fruit fly. I don't know. Or the Oriental fruit fly. <laughs> Another one that I think is super amazing is this one. So this is called Growing Gardens Youth Grow Garden Lesson Plan, and it literally, once again, starts at the very beginning um, about how to do it, and this is how it works out. Introduction with the overview, working with students in the garden, lessons that can be learned, the bibliography and um, appendices. So lots of, lots of um, really cool things. Um, it literally really spells it out for you, so I think this one is a good one. Um, if you're just having a small scale garden, then I think that this one would be helpful. But look, I think this is cute too. Um, veggie preference survey, you know, I don't know if you guys are having problems with your kids liking everything. It's like, I like it, it's okay, I don't like it, I never tried it. <laughs> and so maybe they want to like make a goal to fill in so many smiley faces of the ones they like and the ones they, you know, they're willing to try. And so I just um, think this is really helpful. But once again, Lots of introduction to the garden, and then what you do, and it has, I mean, it even has games, and it has um, garden journals, um, welcome to the garden club, you know, just lots of different ideas sprinkled throughout. So maybe just pick one and try it that year, and if that curriculum didn't work, then the next year you try a different one. Like, that's the cool thing about a garden is you just try again. Okay, this one, as a history teacher, is one of my favorites, too is it's from, based out of California. <clears throat> and <clears throat> what it does that I think is so interesting is it takes apples, okay? It talks about how it's produced and the history of when they first heard about this fruit or vegetable, which I think is really interesting. And the commodity value, well, there's tons of math right there, possibilities, right? And the top producing countries and the nutritional value. And then here's like the fantastic facts and then lesson ideas and a lesson plan. And then here's alfalfa. I mean, the history of alfalfa. I just think this one is super cool. Um, alfalfa activity sheet. If, if you would like, I could just probably email these to you because I honestly, after all my hours of doing this, I can't tell you exactly which site. That's why I just started downloading because I was like, oh, this stuff is fantastic. And I probably should have traced which one I got from which site. But I just started getting excited because there was just so many ideas. Artichokes. I mean, how cool if your kids knew the history of artichokes, maybe they'd be willing to eat artichokes. <laughs> you know? By the time you go through this, you're going to learn a whole lot more about these vegetables and things that you never knew even ever existed. The history of asparagus is a member of the lily family that comes from a Greek language meaning sprout or shoot. Cultivation began more than 2,000 years ago in the eastern Mediterranean. Ancient Greeks and Romans prized asparagus for its unique flavor, texture, and medicinal qualities. It was eaten fresh when in season and dried for winter use. In the 16th century, asparagus gained popularity in France and England. From there, the early colonists brought it to America. Asparagus was first planted in California during the 1850s in the San Joaquin Delta. Thank you. In addition to the Delta, today's production is centered to the Central Coast, Southern California, Desert, and Central Valley. So it's focused, this one's focused on the California produce, but I think you'll find that there's so many. I mean, there's 88 pages here avocados, I, this, well, beef, I don't, you know, whatever. <laughs> but there's bees, which is super fun. Bell peppers, um, yeah. I don't really want to spend a ton of time just looking at websites, but I just thought that would be helpful for a little bit because if I give you a bunch and I just say, oh, go check these out, you're probably like, oh, they look cool, but after I hope that I skim through them, you're going to be like, whoa, they're worth 
my time spending some time scanning through them to see which ones I like best. But um, once I started going, like I just kept, the list kept going longer and longer and longer. And I was like, well, this is kind of intimidating to a parent. So maybe you start next to you, which ones, you know, would work best for you. Or maybe um, you can play around with which ones are fun. But I mean, some of them have little videos if you're into doing that. Um, but I love like the activity sheets already made for you. Because kids love the little worksheets, you know. And so to go out and experience something, then come back and feel like they started something. And I was um, talking to, I'm sorry, I don't remember your name. Audrey, about, she asked me about the new Adventist science curriculum. I don't know if any of you guys are using that. I find that the log books are super overwhelming um, and really redundant in their questions, personally. But there's a lot of good stuff in them because they do make some Bible and science-like connections. But I think the log book idea is brilliant for your children if you're trying to do a log book. Um, so what, there's two ways you can do it. You can do that um, journal that I talked about, those primary journals. We looked it up. It's, it's called a primary composition notebook, looking for K to 2. And you can get it for $2.50 online at Office Depot or Office Supplies. And you're looking for half the page blank, and the other half page has those wonderful lines that your kids can handle writing, you know, the full line and the dot in the middle. Um, so you could use that, and you could decorate the front and just have different books for each of your subjects that you wanted to have one. This is your science log book. This is your Jesus journal. This is your English one, whatever you want, or maybe one a, a quarter, right? So this is your plant life science one. This is your earth science one. This is your um, health, you know, human body, or whatever you want to work out to different journals. But another thing that I've done, too, is because I love the little worksheets. I love the little books. So I just made my own log books. I kind of stole my mom's idea, really credit to my mother. Um, and you buy those for 15 cents. You can get them at Walmart, you know, at the beginning of like, the back to school supplies. And they have like different fun colors. And then they have those metal fasteners inside. And they have the pockets. And they're only like the 15 cents. And then what I would do is I would just make different log books for every unit I was doing. So sometimes I might have three or four log books per quarter. Um, but the kids loved having their log book, and I found that was super helpful to them to have their different log books because then they wanted to keep filling their log books. They wanted to be engaged. They wanted to get out and collect information and come back and fill the log books. And that worked for almost all ages. You can also use that composition notebook without the pictures on top. And you can even find um, composition notebooks that don't do the huge big lines, but that just do the little spaces um, as well that are half blank. But I think for older kids, it's just nice to even have just those blank pages and just we have the freedom to do what they want to fill their book with. All right, so um, other ideas for the gardens um, is I think it would be cool to link um, a spiritual theme. Your kids function well in themes. You function well in themes. When everything is like so much in your brain, it kind of gets all discombobulated. So if you guys have family worships, maybe decide to make like monthly themes because um, we do that in the classroom. So when I taught K2, um, I did actually a theme for the year, and my first year, um, it, was, it was pretty simple. It was a cowboy theme, because I really love like horses and stuff like that. So my theme was rope, rely on prayer every day, and we would like prayer requests on the horseshoes, and we'd tie them on the rope, and my, my, um, I found these Christian-based um, Christian -based, uh, bulletin board stuff with cowboy stuff. But as I grew more into nature-based, I was like, man, I really wish I had picked a nature-based one. But anyways, the next year I did a train. Um, my neighbor had a train, and we redeveloped it into a library. 
and um, it was choo choo choose Jesus. <laughs> and um, it was like, Jesus is my conductor, and we were traveling the world around on our train doing missions. And so, like, picking a theme, like, I can tell you in Holland, there's train tracks everywhere. So every time my kids would go over train tracks, they'd be like, Mommy, Daddy, choo choo choose Jesus. And I was like, Yes, <laughs> score, right? And so, you'll find that when you repeat something, it really sticks in their brains. And so, coming up with you know, a yearly spiritual theme as a teacher um, or a quarterly spiritual theme in your house and that the worship's kind of tied back there, back into I think that's great. So um, there's only 10 in this one for the garden metaphors, um, but I think that you could um, expand it into 12 or also I figured like I didn't do 12 because Christmas time kind of seems to be its own time of craziness and um, plus Maybe you just want to make things like take a break from the garden and, and do things around Christmas. I don't know. But this is, I thought these were really helpful. Number one is have a vision for your garden. And there's not specific like spiritual like connections in here because I think they're pretty um, easy to draw through. But I'm just going to touch on them briefly so you have a couple like ideas of where I'm going with it. But have a vision for your garden. Just like you need to have a vision for your life. Like imagine walking out your back door into a garden that doesn't look anything like your dream garden. Maybe it's overgrown. It's decorated with garden paraphernalia. You can't stand to look at it. It has no fruits or vegetables, and only you can find one or two of your favorite flowers. That's what your life will look like if you don't create a vision. So helping the kids maybe at the beginning establish what do you want your life to look like that. I do that with my English kids. They're juniors. And I say, what do you want at the end of 2019 to look like? What do you want to say you've accomplished? And we break it down into four categories, spiritual, academic, social, and physical. And that's what I work with high schoolers. But for elementary, this might be different. But I'm just like, you know, teaching them to create a vision for their life. Where do you want to see, how do you want to see um, God lead in your life by the end of this year? So having a vision for your garden um, is super important. Just like having a vision um, for what you want your life to look like. And then if you'll continue to page four, um, number two is you need to prioritize. And just talks about like you can't have everything in your garden you need to prioritize what's important. Well, the same thing in your own life. You need to prioritize what are the things that are important to accomplish in your own life, you know? And you need to help your child to learn to prioritize the things that he or she needs to get done as well. Um, what are priorities? Number three, you need good soil. Um, and I think this is just helpful for um, myself and anybody who's an adult. Getting your financial life in order, creating cornerstone habits, exercising, eating clean, getting enough sleep and personal devotions decluttering, you know, all that good stuff. I know as a kid, my mom, my dad was always threatening me that if I didn't pick up my room, he was going to put a, a dumpster outside my door and just shovel it all out because <laughs> I just was a little pack rat and I loved to keep everything. And so that was a constant threat in my life. Number four, you reap what you sow, um, which I think is an awesome lesson. And, you know, there's just different Bible stories that can go along too. Where do you see that Bible characters, for example, prioritize? What about Daniel? He prioritized, you know, prayer. You know, and so maybe sit down with them and help be like, let's figure out which Bible stories follow under these categories, and they help plan out your year of devotions a little bit too. But just try to think what Bible stories, um, you know, who had good soil? Um, can anybody think of a Bible character that had good soil that would maybe fall under that category? Joseph. Yeah, Joseph had good soil. Not at first, but he, he, he developed it in his pathway along to Egypt. He was like, well, I guess I need a heart transplant. <laughs> and he got good soil. Now, before you reap what you sow, right, what we put in is what we usually get out. Um, can anything, anybody think of any good Bible stories that would fall under you reap what you sow? 
Haman, right? <laughs> Samson, Ruth. Um, number five is assess your garden's conditions. Um, in life, when you set goals, you need to take into account things such as your strengths, your weaknesses, your likes and dislikes, your character and temperament, the people who surround you. So um, just things that's important to assess. Number six, build a fence around your garden. Um, say naysay keep naysayers and toxic people at an arm's length. Say no to unwanted commitments. Block out time to work on your goals and refuse to allow interruptions or distractions to take away attention away from the task at hand. Number seven, a garden needs constant tending. Number eight, have patience and trust the process. Number nine, learn to deal with things outside of your control, right? You can't help it if there's a huge rainstorm and it destroys your crops, you know? And you can't help it if a hailstorm comes along or a tornado comes along, you know? There's things that are out of your control that you don't have always a say. And can you think of any Bible stories where people had to learn to deal with things outside of their control? Job. <laughs> Job, <laughs> yeah. Job, any other ones? Jonah? Oh, Noah, yeah. Yeah. Reap your harvest. And then um, that's the amazing thing about gardening. But I love this at the end. It says, on the other hand, if the harvest wasn't as bountiful as you'd like it to be, or if some plants failed to bear fruit and analyze what went wrong, then come up with a different strategy and try again. That's the cool thing about gardening. You just get to try again and try again. Um, okay, some other simple ideas for those of you who do not have, um, that do not have maybe a garden going on. Is I think this is a cute idea uh, about um, a garden in a glove. If you turn to page five, uh, moisten five cotton balls using a spray bottle. Put three or four seeds in the same type on each cotton ball and place a cotton ball inside each of the glove's fingertips. <laughs> so you have this cute little garden and a glove. And then once they grow, then you can move them into um, little tiny pots, maybe, or bigger pots, or whatever you want to grow. Um, but with with limiting gardening, if you just have a smaller garden in-house in -house that your child is a part of, or even like a small garden that's their area, um, I think that helps you be able to graph and sketch and measure and all that kind of stuff too. The big one works too if you're the ones of those people that are, are living on the garden, your whole family's in the garden lifestyle. Probably your older kids can handle the sketching and the graphing, but it might be a little bit to master if you're just trying to teach your five-year-old. But it's, it's what you want to take on as well. All right. Um, I think this is a really cute idea. My life as a fruit or vegetable. Um, basically what you do is you pretend that you're a fruit. That's on page two. You pretend that you're a fruit or a vegetable. And you write about your life from the farm to the table. Which means you're going to have to do research to figure out how that vegetable, what it took to grow it, what kind of transplant did it have. And for those um, who aren't working on the garden, I think it's important for us to realize how our food gets to the table, right? Like how was the process going? Who picked it? Um, where is he grown? How is he harvested? How is he transplanted? What good things does he offer? How is he prepared and cooked? You know, so you have this funny little story about a tomato that gets thrown into the frying pan, and you have this very creative thing, but like it could just be the journey of what your fruit and vegetable takes along the way. So um, another thing I think is super important is allowing your students to edit each other's papers, which I've already said about. Um, so if you have time for that, sitting them back and forth is great. All right. Um, before we move on, is there anybody that has anything that they have found that works really well in the garden? I know what you, I know like this is, 
the session that should be the most important, but I didn't really know if there was a point of printing off like thousands of lesson plans and working through them each with you. Um, so I'm happy to go over a couple more if you think that would be helpful. Um, but I didn't know if just going over lesson plan and the garden would be helpful to you or not. So there's two things I have to answer the question. For the recording, they asked what we do with the school academic calendar and how it doesn't really is not conducive to the farming lifestyle because it used to be um, conducive to sending the kids home to farm. So to answer that, there's two things. One, um, at Heritage, what we've started, we've started an agricultural program there. Um, it's still working out. And what we, how we design it is we, we were blessed. At Heritage, we have four beautiful big greenhouses. So it makes life quite simple. Um, in a lot of ways, but what we do is we do winter gardening, and so we grow um, greens, just a lot of greens, <laughs> and um, carrots. Carrots taste really good after a good frost. That sweetens them up. Um, so we grow carrots, and we grow um, kale. I mean, a lot of greens. We call ourselves Heritage Greens. That's what we grow primarily is just greens, and we, we supplement our salad bar. We'd like to get big enough, but we're literally in the baby steps of making. We started last year. We'd like to get big enough to be like marketing to our local restaurants and offer fresh salad mixes throughout, you know, the winter. But I don't know um, at this point how soon we're going to be able to get to it. But how we've done it is our kids spend an hour a week in the garden um, as a class. So they have, remember I talked about like work in the morning and classes in the afternoon or vice versa. Uh, what happens then is like the freshmen have the first hour of work all in the garden and then they go to their work areas and they separate out and then this then the the last hour of that work period is for the juniors and then they go and they go to the garden and they go to math class and so that's how we've done it at heritage to make it work um and we so we've just done winter gardening um and there's a little bit, I mean, because in Tennessee, you have, I'd say, a whole lot longer growing season than Michigan. So we are able to grow tomatoes and peppers and some other things that they can enjoy. And because they're in the greenhouse, they can, our growing season can last a little longer. None of our greenhouses are heated. We're trying to get to that point. Also, we're trying to build a seed house, um, a baby one that we can heat, that we can start things earlier in the season to be able to start planting things sooner. And also, we think it'd be a really good idea, if nothing else, we could become a supplier to other, um, uh, people that instead of going to Walmart to buy your baby seedlings, you know, come to Heritage and buy seedlings from us. And we'd like to set up a store in the front. Um, we'd like to set up cooking classes. You know, we'd like to move there, but we haven't done any of that yet. And then in Michigan, um, there's actually a second grade teacher at, at, at Village Church who has started a gardening program. And she has her little second graders out there in the garden, but she is an amazingly devoted woman who um, takes care of the garden during the summer. And so she's pretty much like as much as she can involve the kids, she's doing, but when the season is done, but she says they still get to enjoy a good size of harvest and they still get to enjoy the planting, it's just not the cultivating process. But um, because it's like at the end of June, I mean beginning of June that school gets out in Michigan, they're able to plant it in, in May and then they are able to definitely reap the harvests in, in August. Then she's tried having like parents sign up for a week and trying to do that, like rotate through your classroom slightly a struggle, but she just works within the school. But literally, they just had um, a very expensive donation and then built a whole beautiful garden complex at um, Village School. It's beautiful. Um, someone donated a whole lot of money and they, she's starting to get other teachers infectuated with this desire to have a garden. 
So you can do sprouts inside with kids. You can do microgreens with kids. There or there are some plants that if you start them, like by or from seed, you can start them really early in the year, like January, February, so that they're ready to transplant out, like onions and things that take a little longer to get going. Herbs, and you can teach kids a lot of science behind that. And also, so we, you know, we homeschool throughout the winter because our busy season is the summer because we're market gardeners and that's what we do for a living. So in the summertime, we try to take the garden opportunities and use those um, to really teach spiritual lessons because that's what Jesus did. Like a lot of his parables were in the garden and the vine dressers and, you know, sowing seeds. And I mean, even just something as simple as pruning a tomato plant and you have to cut off pieces so that you know you have the one vine and you have to direct it and there's so many ways that you can make spiritual applications in the garden and I think that like that is like our huge focus for being in the garden and being out in nature is the spiritual application Mm -hmm. and then the rest you kind of get during the school year too I feel like yeah the garden um, naturally lends itself to um, lots of spiritual, lots of spiritual possibilities. Unfortunately, um, the way that the Lord has guided my life, I actually don't have um, any experience yet working with my students side by side in the garden. Um, I did organize the whole agricultural program, but I teach my that big long class, and I'm girls dean, and da 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 da. And so I, the hours don't work out for me to even be in the garden with them. I'm just behind the scenes organizing the paperwork and organizing the hours and trying to get people in there. But we have another guy and faculty that are down there in the garden. But I do think ideally um, it'd be great if every staff um, spent even it's just an hour down there in the garden. So I try on Wednesday afternoons this year, I've actually been able to make time. So Wednesday afternoons this year, I'm able to go down there for a couple hours. And I might not work with very many students. I might work with no students just because of the way the time works, but at least they know that I'm down there and trying to work with them. And I think that, you know, like I said, those who work together and play together, stay together, you know. And so I think that's super, super important. Um, but um, I, I grew up on a farm, and we had a small garden, or actually a large garden, and so I went through that whole process. But I can't even say that my parents, like, we never had deep spiritual connections talking about the garden. Um, but that love for, for fresh produce just happened just because we had a garden. So I know that there's a lot of pressure to make sure you draw all those like connections out of the garden, but the truth is like they do come. They just might come later in life. Like the seeds are planted and I personally want to have a garden someday. There's not a stage in my life right now. I'm too busy on the road and I'm gone in mission trips during the summer to have a garden. But because my parents had me in the garden, I used to think I was a slave. I used to pretend I was a slave. <laughs> Such a dramatic child I was. But I had this huge long corn row that I had to get finished before I could jump into the cow bin to go swimming. And so like I had to get done with the that long row and I can remember plucking weeds and you know, later in life, when they taught me different things, I remember that experience. And it, it wasn't hard for me to draw the spiritual connections. And if you can make them while they're a young age, that's wonderful and that's awesome. Um, but I think you'll find, too, that the conversation flows in the garden. There's something, ability, where they, they are more in tune with their Savior and they are able to draw those connections. But I am sad to say that I have yet to experience it. But I'm hoping soon that I will get to start, like, actually being there in the garden with them. Think about your lifestyle and it's super busy and super crazy and really take time to think about those thematic units because I think you'll find that like we 
we fill our kids with all sorts of great things. And I've always said that like I'm made of lots of missing, lots of little pieces and I can't really pinpoint anything because I've really, really been blessed with lots of different spiritual mentors in my life. But those, those times of big spiritual themes, I can remember those. And so if you really pick like this year, guys, we are focusing on dot, dot, dot. And then you each month put back things into that thematic unit. I think you'll find that they, the years might tie together in their brains, but it'll become really strong whatever you're trying to plant in their brains. If you just want to take some time and um, brainstorm a little bit about how you could um, make, I guess probably just section out your year. Like be honest with yourself, right? You like know like gardening is from this season to this season and you tend to be doing what during this season to this season? Like make a little map out plan for those of you since like 50% of you are pretty heavily involved in your garden. I think it's worth deciding like which months am I planting? Which months am I doing like this? Like take a little time to make a spreadsheet of your life and then you can um, start to think, okay, this is what piece will fit in here and this is what piece will do that. So like right now, just make a plan of your life. Like you know pretty much in December, you're doing a lot of traveling because you visit family or this period happens this. Everyone just take some time and then I'll tell you after you just make a, a 12 month plan of your life then I'll direct you after that. So right now, just take a moment to make a 12-month plan, like planting, you're harvesting, you're cultivating, you know. Maybe if you know you have swimming lessons, throw that in there. I don't know if you know you already have those extracurricular things that you do. Put that in your 12-month plan. Anything that you know kind of goes into a 12-year time period. Mission trips, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> um, what is at Agra Conference, <laughs> you know that that's pretty much always in your calendar. If you know what things that are in your calendar, try to put them on there. So once you made your 12-month plan, um, maybe instead of starting in January, like um, you typically start a year in, like be open to your spiritual theme starting when you have spring springtime planting, or when you start starting those seeds and start your year from that point, which might feel funny and kind of different, but if you change your, your, your mindset as like, this is a new beginning when we start our garden, and then when we harvest our garden, and then you have this little vacation time. And so it's a summer vacation being your time. Like, I think it is important, you know, the Israelites celebrated different harvests, right? And so like having that time where you like celebrate, I know for me growing up as a farmer's daughter, when it was winter time, I was super excited because my dad was coming in earlier. My dad was done with work sooner. Um, he wasn't all night driving the tractor because we grew up baling hay. And so like he would literally drive all night to mow the hay, go to work the next day, then come home and be out raking it or tutting it or whatever needed to be done. And then like the next day or two, we were all out baling as a family, you know? It was a good life, don't get me wrong. I don't have any complaints, but I was so excited when winter came in because then I felt like my daddy would play games with me during winter time. And there was, there was lots of fun times to be had. So when you're thinking about your lesson plans and those four science areas, you know, think about the stuff that is really conducive to be inside and include daddy into it because I think that sometimes a hard factor is to get dad involved in the, in the lesson planning. I'm, Okay, maybe let's not put them in the lesson planning, but in the carrying out of the curriculum, you know. Um, but if you if you section in your life out to live more the farmer's calendar instead of that that January December calendar, then you're also kind of maybe even staying away from that buzz of the Christmas holiday or the or that pressure to be like now it's New Year's now this no we we live a calendar according to the world around me that's changing and developing right like now it's springtime and then it's and then it's summer, and then it's fall, and then it's, it's rest time, you know? And maybe even think about your spiritual t time 
being something different during that rest time. Maybe it's more they get to decide, you know, what the, maybe it's not all going back to that spiritual theme. Maybe it's just they get to, to develop with God on their own. And then once again, you hit the theme starting spring and then you harvest. You know, and you think about even doing activities in your devotion life that correlate with that. So, right, like maybe for outreach, you're doing planting seeds. So you're thinking about evangelism projects that are planting seeds, right? And then you're doing like a harvest thing in your community at harvest time that also is like maybe a harvest for seeds that your kids have planted. You know, like try to, try to make your devotional life and your spiritual mission life model what you're doing in the garden. So they also see, no, I, I know that can be hectic because harvest time is crazy. And you're like, I don't have time to plan a huge harvest event. You know, that can be really intimidating. But maybe it could be some, something smaller and simple like a fall festival at your house or something where people come over and they help you pick. Or I don't know what would fit into your lifestyles. But I say if you're, if you're a farmer, live like a farmer, you know, and, and help them to be like, yeah, this is when I do more school. Or this is when I do less school. Or this is school inside. Or this is school outside. Or you know, hit the workbooks harder at a different time and then lighten up where it's like exploratory time. This is why I base it on science, simply because then I can match the season and the weather patterns easier than when I try to make my math or my reading or my English. All right, um, that is our time, unless anyone had anything else they wanted to add. I don't want you to feel cheated. I know this is agricultural conference and everything should be about the garden, but I just find that in general, um, there's lots to be learned in nature and in the garden. And it doesn't have to be limited to, to the garden at all. And I hope that these resources are extremely helpful. When I was looking through them, I, I'm seriously probably when I get home back to Heritage, I'm going to print off every single one and put them on plastic pages and just see which ones I want to sort through. Um, but I just figured it would be too much to just, you know, just go over one or two lesson plans with you when there's literally hundreds out there available. And you'll be like, actually, this is what we're talking about. And if you just made you know, whether your 12-month plan just made one or two lesson plans once a month that was specifically designed to the garden, I think you'd feel like you achieved something, you know? Start little, start manageable, and I think you'll feel at the end of the year like you got something done at harvest time instead of like, oh, it's harvest time. <laughs> this media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.